0: Well good morning everyone. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, as it's already been said. Hopefully uh your week has found you well. And uh you know, for those that maybe it wasn't so great, you know, we have the hope in Christ and that He will comfort you, you know, because sometimes, you know, holidays like this, it's either a super high or you know you're kinda struggling through it. But there's no better place to be than the house of the Lord to go ahead and hear from Him and get whatever it is that you specifically need. The Lord will speak to your heart this morning. I believe that is so true. And so that's why we come to glorify Him and to hear what wisdom uh, we can glean from His Word so we can apply it to our lives. Amen? All right. It's been one of those mornings, but you know what? It's okay because, again, we are we are fighting from victory so despite what the circumstances look like we may get frazzled a little bit but we have our anchor in jesus christ and you can take that to the bank all right today we are going to begin uh chapter 27 in the book of acts we will be in acts chapter 26 we'll be going through verses 1 down through 11. so uh, when you get there, if you could please stand briefly, we will uh, read God's word and then we'll go ahead and pray and we'll get into the message. So, again, Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. All right. And so it starts, it says, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently, my manner of life from my youth spent from The beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Verse 8 Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of these saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when They were put to death. I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord, we know that every time we open up your word, you speak truth. There's relevant goodness for our lives that we can glean from, that we can understand what it is, your design for life, and how your design is the perfect design for us to live here on this planet. Lord, may you speak to our hearts now through your word. Help us to understand your truth, The again, the relevant truth and how it is applicable today. Lord, it, it, may, it, may, not, it may not seem like a Mother's Day message, but we know that we all draw our strength and our encouragement and our courage from you. So please show us where Jesus is in our text this morning. We thank you and love you in Jesus Christ's precious name. We pray. Amen. All right. All right. Acts chapter 26. It's, it's, it's amazing that, uh, I don't know how long it's been, but we've been in the book of Acts for quite some time. Lord willing, we, um, we will be completing the book in, uh, maybe uh, the foreseeable future, the next several months. But it's been, it's been a great ride to be on in understanding how the early church operated. And, and a lot of these, these, all of these things that we find in the book of Acts, these are things that we should still be practicing today as the church representing Jesus Christ. And so it's just, a, it's been a great opportunity to learn and understand what the church is supposed to truly look like. And I believe we are, uh, in our in our best ability, in the power of the Holy Spirit, living that out. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, last week, we were introduced to King Agrippa. So we got a brief background on him and kind of what was unfolding with how he came into the picture. Now we get to see a closer look at Paul actually addressing the king. What Paul's response, or some would say what his defense would be for why Paul was not guilty by these accusations brought uh, against him by the religious leaders, we kind of, I kind of broke this this message up into two parts. That, uh, we, we'll go through the first half this morning, and in this first half of Paul's defense, he drives home the point that God will cause the dead to rise again. Paul asked uh, the question, "Why did anyone think that it was incredible?" for God to do such a thing? Why, why, why did people think that this was an impossible feat for the God of all creation to do? As if anything is hard for God. If, as if anything, if there's anything He cannot do, is He, is he not capable of doing everything? Um, I, I was in, uh, you know, one of these mornings a couple of days ago, like three in the morning, I don't know, you know, I just I couldn't sleep and I was led to, you know, get into the book of Genesis and just the first statement alone in the beginning, God, and all that encompasses that. You know, you you take a look at the universe and how the universe is laid out and the fact there's so much stuff that the scientists are still as more, the more they learn, the more that they they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't know as much as they think they know. Uh, you know what they what they would call uh, black matter. What's ninety nine point nine percent of what's out in space? Now they're saying it's it's this translucent kind of like glue that keeps the, the the universe together. If you if you're into stuff like that and you like to nerd out on facts of uh, of, of what goes on in the world and and, and uh, you know uh, the universe, it's it's very interesting to find out that everything is so perfectly accounted for, that if anything was ever off balance, things would be out of whack here on earth. But but the fact that we are the size we are, that the, the, the sun is as far away from the earth as it is, all those different things that come into play. Oh man, I was reading about that and it just floored me of how great God is and how perfect his hand in all creation is. And for us to understand that God is the type of being, the only type of being that's not created. So he created the universe and everything in the universe that's ever expanding out of nothing. The universe, he could, he could obliterate the universe and he would still exist. And it really struck me because when I, when I thought about the, the, the greatest architects of the ages and, and those who uh, make beautiful music and compose great pieces of, of, of music and, and people that sculpt and create beautiful creations, when you look at man, the, be- the most beautiful things that we create and the most innovative things we create, it's out of matter. There already has to be something existing in order for us to create. And that's the difference between God and and, and man in that sense, is is God can exist out of nothing, but we use created things. I think the closest thing that we are used for in creating something out of nothing is procreation or, or the gift of life. When a man and a woman come together godly in a, in, a, in a marriage union and, and, and a baby is formed in a womb, right? Mothers in this room know that experience. It's, it's, it's unlike anything else that you could ever experience. That is that is the closest thing that humans get to creating something out of nothing. And I think that's probably the reason why Satan tries to pervert the act of sex in such a manner because he knows that is, our, that, 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 that is something that links us directly to God in that act of uh, procreation. So it's just amazing, again, the fact that God is perfect in all he does and is incredible in what he does. And, and, and bringing that back to the fact that Paul was saying, why do you guys think it is incredible that God raises the dead? Is nothing impossible for our God? Okay, there's several main points that i like to focus on this morning is this. And the first one is, whether you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior or not, all will one day be resurrected. Some people believe that this life here on earth is all we have, that, that, that you're going to live out a certain amount of years, and after that, you're going to pass away, and, and, that, and that's all. Your, your, your life counts for everything that is here, uh, that, that you were born to Learn whatever uh, language and whatever customs that you are accustomed to in the in the culture you are brought up in. Uh, for us here in America, the, the, the idea is you go to grade school, you go to some intermediate school, then you go to high school, you get a high school diploma, you go to college, you get a college degree. And hopefully you're not in so much student debt that it's lingering over your head for years to come. But you graduate from college. Then because you graduated from college, you you, you you automatically get a good paying job. A career that you've been striving for, that you've been dreaming about your whole life. (laughs) Then one day you get married. You get married, and, 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 and you raise a family. You have beautiful children. You celebrate days like this, Mother's Day, and it's, it's such a grand thing. And then you retire one day, and once you retire, you've, you've had that nest egg you've been saving for years and years and years, and you're able to retire and travel abroad and go to all the, the nice places that you just dreamed about, that you would see on, you know, pictures on calendars, and, and then you die. And then you die. Well, you know, while many of these things that I just mentioned, they, they may be different points in, 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 in some people's lives. These experiences are not the grand purpose for why you're here or why I'm here. They're not bad things. I'm not, I'm not poking fun at, at that scenario. Sometimes it, it plans out like that. Sometimes it doesn't pan out like that at all. Sometimes people get married straight out of high school or they have kids out of high school and it's a little bit uh, backwards. And you know, But either way, the experiences we go through are not the sum total of your worth or your value in this life or your purpose in this life. You see, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the ultimate purpose of why we were created. Is to glorify God in all of His goodness. What we just sang about. Glorifying Him in everything we do in our lifestyle. In the way we think. In the way we act. In the way we serve others. And enjoy Him forever. You see, the one key word in that statement is forever forever that means it doesn't stop the god of all creation did not create us with the intention of a one-time earthly experience it's not about just right here right now this is important but this is not it this is not it we are created as eternal beings you see words like eternal and forever though we use them often I think sometimes they're kind of difficult to grasp. I still haven't wrapped my mind around the idea or the reality of eternal or forever. Uh, I, have a, I have a client that I work with, and he's very into numbers, and he's very into infinity. And he always asked me, Kefing, when I go to heaven, am I going to be able to stop writing zeros? He said, because heaven is for infinity it's eternal it never ends and i said you know what brian your hand's probably gonna hurt a lot because you're never gonna stop writing zeros i said i can't understand it i can't i can't explain it to you maybe you can explain it more to me and he's the one that's supposedly on the spectrum but i can't for the life of me grasp the concept of forever or eternity it does not end it does not end you see many times we are so focused on the short term immediate gratification of things that we fail to see the bigger picture of life the bigger scope of life it's a it's a very interesting thing when you look at uh, a, a text in the old testament I won't get it into, into it too much, but it is applicable here it talks about what what can what what does a good man consist of a go, a good man that's looked at as good in god 's eyes is a man that looks down three generations as far as leaving an inheritance whether that be uh you know monetarily but most importantly spiritually the inheritance you leave so for me that would be for my great grandchildren and if you don't look that far into the future you're not considered a good man by god's standards that's deep (laughs) that that will floor you and get you to have a different perspective on how you're viewing life, not only your life, but the generations to come. As we know, the Bible is clear, generational curses can be broken, but it starts with you and what you choose to do with where you are at. The experiences we go through down here upon earth are to prepare us for eternity, right? You've heard it said, well, you know, Sometimes some people are like, well, you know, I, I like, you know, church service, but I'm, I'm just not into, you know, the music. I'm just not into, you know, uh, worshiping God like that. Well, you know, you better get used to it because we're going to do, be doing a whole lot of worshiping when we're in heaven for eternity. We're actually going to be do, doing a whole lot of working, too. Some people think they're just going to kick back and do nothing in heaven. And it's just going to I'll just wake up. Whenever this and that, you know, we're, there's going to be things we are going to be put to work to do. It's not just going to be a free for all and you can be lazy. There's The, 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 the idea of diligence is going to be a good thing. You are going to be... Filled with enthusiasm to be serving the Lord in whatever manner he calls you to serve when you're in eternity with him forever but these are things that will go on that what we go through here it's to prepare us for this eternal state we will be in with the Lord forever some tend to think that this is unrealistic and uh, there's nothing significant that happens when you die like I just will you know I'm living here I'm doing what I'm doing here, and when I die, I'm dying, and, and that's it. Well, you know, uh, some people think, you, you know, I'm just going to float off. <laughs> I'm just going to float off into the universe somewhere. You know, my, 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 I, you know some, some people call it energy. They say, well, I don't, I don't have a spirit. I'm just energy. Or better yet, uh, some people believe that, uh, you, know, I, I'm gonna and I, I'm, you know, I'm going to reincarnate. And, you know, I'm going to come back here as a monkey... Or maybe I'll come back as a peacock because I really like the feathers and I like how the males, you know, they have all the big colors and they make it look nice when they're trying to, uh, you know, get a mate. And again, procreate. That's funny. The truth is every person ever created will one day be resurrected to stand before the righteous judge of this universe, which is the true and living God. We will either be forgiven for the debt that we owe because we choose to accept the blood offer of Jesus Christ as our payment, or we will stand guilty because we did not accept the only payment that is suitable for our crime, the crime of, uh, of a sinful nature that was inherited to us, that we inherited from the first Adam. That, that is the reality of what is going to happen for every person at some point in time and we need to be aware of these things and how important it is to make a just decision of where we stand with Jesus Christ. The second main point this morning is this, the resurrection of the dead is not to be thought of as incredible. Hear me though, because nothing is impossible with God. Obviously, the dead coming back to life, it is an incredible thing. It is an incredible act to, to even conceive that. And maybe that, this is what some of uh, the Jews, the religious leaders were having a problem with because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And then even these Roman officials that did not have the Holy Spirit living in them, they did not understand this. They did not conceive this, this idea like it had any relevancy to their lives at all. Yet because the Lord God Almighty is capable of doing anything at any given time, we shouldn't look at this act of the resurrection of the dead to be incredible. Rather, we should view the God who makes the resurrection happen and possible as incredible. You see, the God who is behind the raising of the dead, He is incredible and it is it is uh, mind-blowing how he does these things that should be the perspective not what he does because he's capable of doing any and everything you see people do have a built-in fascination with the afterlife take for example the egyptians right they were all into the afterlife and it was all about mummifying a body making sure it was prepped and prepared so when they went off they would go to be in what they believed was paradise. Extra extravagant tombs, gold, all the jewels, all those things that they were they were into that, right? You have that aspect of it and you have still, even in today, Hollywood and the Hollywood industry, uh, you know, shows like The Walking Dead. Why, why are those shows created? Why are those shows created if we don't have some built-in fascination with the afterlife, with what happens beyond here? You see, the problem with this fascination is it does not come from a biblical, excuse me, perspective. I'm speaking of those two in general and the others that don't take the biblical worldview of what we find in the Bible. These fascinations come from a satanic perspective instead. You see, God has built in every human heart a hole. That only he can fill. We've heard it many times. The God-shaped hole, and you can put—you can't put a round uh, peg in a square hole. It doesn't fit. That—that that is the idea that we get here with this God-shaped hole inside of every single one of us. But yet again, we try to fill this hole with everything else but Him, and this comes with this fascination of the afterlife. We all—we um, see this that it's real and, and that it exists. We all have an innate sense that there is something more to this life than we see. If I take a line from Transformers, what is it? More than meets the eye. I won't say Transformers, but more than meets the eye. There's more than, 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 than what you see in your physical realm. There's so much more. But see, many will choose to disregard this, this sense so they don't have to think about it. That's where people fall in the line of, well, you know what, nothing, ha- nothing is gonna happen when I, when I die, because I'm just here, that's it. There is an innate sense that they, there's something out there, but they don't want to face it. They don't want to realize that there's more to this life than what they see, and when they die, they're going to experience that, either on the good side or the not so good side. The other aspect of this is many obsess about the afterlife Uh, too much. They're so obsessed with it. But without the proper perspective, or should I say, without the biblical perspective, they can't see clearly of what the afterlife is about, what the next realm, the next season of life we will all face one day. You see, when we begin to see the greatness of God simply for who He is, we will begin to understand that for Him, Nothing is impossible, not even raising the dead, when we, when we begin to understand God's greatness. And again, we understand that He only allows us to understand, and He only reveals so much to us. But what He reveals to us, it's enough for us to grasp that these are truths that we need to hold on to and cling to because the Bible is accurate and infallible. All right, the third main point is this. When we don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are actually in opposition to Him. Well, some will say, "I I I don't oppose Jesus Christ or Christianity Christianity, excuse me. It's just not my thing. I'm just not not into it. I don't I I, I don't I don't subscribe to that. That that may be good for you, but but for me, it, it, it doesn't fulfill me, and so I don't I don't follow after those precepts that you hold so dearly to your heart. But that's actually completely wrong, that idea of, well, it's okay for you, but it's not okay for me. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You see, no one seeks after God on their own, because that's a holy and righteous thing to do, to seek the Lord, to follow after Him. That, that's, a, that's a righteous thing. That's something that can, you, you and I cannot do in and of ourselves because we don't even have the inclination to do that apart from the Holy Spirit wooing us and drawing us to Himself. And because we inherited the first Adam's spirit, we naturally go astray. That's just what we do. There's you. You don't have to try to go astray from God. This is what you and I do. Born into this world. That means that we are born into opposition to God. That's a wild thought, right? You see this beautiful, pretty baby. I, I look at my, my daughter, and you know, oh, she's so cute. And, you know, wandering around, nice dress. It's like you, you were, you were born but you are born in opposition to God. Our first words have more to do with no and mine, not hallelujah, praise God. You see, those words and those concepts have to be taught, right? But no one has to teach a baby to be selfish and greedy because these are things that are innately, are innately in us. We are born with a sinful nature that opposes God. Because of that, like Paul, he testified about himself before King Agrippa. Uh, Unless you have come to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are still at war with God. That is, that is uh, what, what Paul's whole purpose of speaking to all of these people from the religious leaders to King Agrippa to Felix to Festus, the, the Roman leaders, right? He was trying to warn them of the coming judgment that was incurred upon them because of their, their, their natural state. And he was trying to warn them and tell them that, you know what, God has another way. God has a beautiful plan to take you out of that place where you will incur His wrath and you will receive His love. But this is the way that you do it. You do it by accepting the free gift of salvation that is offered by His Son, Jesus Christ. And that that was Paul's main goal in this. So as we have the the backdrop and the framework for uh, these verses, let's go ahead and dive in now. So it says... In uh, Acts chapter twenty twenty six 26, verse one through three. So, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently, okay, so to begin with this, this could have been very awkward for Paul, right, because if we have any background of, of King Agrippa and kind of what 's going on with him and his family we 'll know that uh, you know it, it was it was not a, it was not a ideal situation, at least by the world's eyes. But see, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he was filled with confidence in the the Lord of all creation to do a work through himself. And he wasn't confident in his own knowing and understanding of things. He was confident that God had called him to do this and he was going to speak through Paul. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul stood before the man whose great-grandfather tried to kill Jesus Christ as a baby. And, and this same man's grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded. And his father martyred, martyred Excuse me, the first apostle James. So Agrippa's family history, it, it made for him, at least by human standards, to look like, you know, you're not going to receive the gospel. Because look at you. Look at, look at, the, look at the path. Look at the, the family line that you come from. This is not a good thing. Looking through, again, human eyes, this should have never happened. This should have not been possible for King Agrippa to hear this. A family responsible for all that murder and mayhem should not have the right to hear the truth to save one's soul. But you see that's that's man's justice that's man's perspective that's what, how man thinks right we're We're in a time now. all you have to do is look on the news i I keep saying it every week because it seems like more stories pop up, but people are just going crazy right now, avenging their own things, doing whatever people just doing heinous stuff. Everyone feels like they deserve or have the right to to, to, to do whatever and voice their opinions. And yes, I guess that there is is truth to that. But everyone wants to be reconciled for what someone else has done wrong to them. And all it is is revenge, revenge, revenge all day long. That's not God's idea of justice. And praise God that he has a different idea of what justice looks like. Paul goes on to say, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you. You see, though Paul was a prisoner, he was happy to speak before King Agrippa. First, because... He was pleased to have the evidence of his case examined closer by someone who was a higher-up official, someone who was higher than Felix and and Festus, but also because he was pleased to preach the gospel to kings and rulers, uh, prominent people of the land. For them to be able to hear the truth of Jesus Christ was an important thing. And as we learned last week in this auditorium where this took place, Uh, In the city of Caesarea, uh, I mean, there was all kind of people, uh, you know, commanders from the Roman legion, all people of great importance were there in this auditorium. This was a tremendous opportunity for Paul to speak the truth and give God the glory. And this was actually a, a partial fulfillment of what the Lord promised Paul uh, at his conversion. If we go to Acts chapter 9 verse 15, it tells us this. It says uh, as the Lord speaking through, uh, to Paul, go for he has a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentile kings and children of Israel. So this was something that was revealed to him when Paul, remember he was blind and then all of a sudden after so many days, uh, you know, he was no longer blind, he could see, and he was given this direction from his fellow brothers. The application is this, how do we respond or how should we respond when given the opportunity to share the gospel with others? Do we show favoritism? Do we pick and choose who we feel is worthy of hearing the message of Jesus Christ based on our opinions and our pre, uh, presumptions of who someone is, based on how they look, based on what their circumstances look like, I pray we don't. Or do we understand that Jesus Christ came to save all of humanity, that he came to forgive and to save if only people would respond in humility to his gift of salvation and receive it freely? See, these are the things we have to ask ourselves because when we, when we put people in categories, we're not doing as Jesus would like us to do in the sense of, Why was Jesus despised? The religious leaders despised Jesus. Why? Because he, he hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with people that were not high on the totem pole in the society in which he was. And so for that, they thought he was a sinner. But he came for those who were full of sin. He came for those who were sick. And the deceiving thing is, we can look at certain people because of their demographic, or because of their class, or because of their race, or because of their culture, and think these people don't have it together. The deceiving thing is you can have uh, many of what the world offers and have your ducks in a row as far as numbers go, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're free from that same sin that has entrapped these other people. So you see, it's not about... uh, class it's not about race it's not about social economics and all that stuff those those are things when we focus on those things instead of the heart of the matter is that jesus christ would like all people to receive him we become disillusioned by these things and they become a distraction the fact is we should show the same amount of love and respect and dignity to the president as we do to the person that's at City Team that just checked in and is going to be there for a little while. Again, when we remember and understand that we are created in the image of God and every person is created in His image, in that way, we will have a different perspective of how we go about treating other people. We will look at other people and say, wow, that person's created in the image of God just like me. I think I should show them a bit of dignity and respect, and that goes a long way, especially when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and He's leading you to do so. Okay. Moving on to verses 4 and 5, and it says, my, my, my man, and this is Paul speaking of his former life, right? Now he is, he's been converted. There's been a, a total transformation in him. And he is no longer that old creation. He's a new creation in Christ, right? That's a supernatural act of God to do something that can take a 60-year-old man and a 6-year-old boy, And convert them both and save their souls that's the supernatural work of God at work and this is Paul speaking of before how he acted before he was converted in this manner he says my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews they have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion I have lived as a Pharisee okay so not to go in depth but a little bit we 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 pretty much already know this from the accounts that we've read about Paul in the past and, and you you are wise people who are like the Bereans you study the word of God so you know these things but Paul was born in Tarsus several hundred miles from Jerusalem yet at a young age he came to live in Jerusalem and the text says according to the strictest ooh strict how many people grew up and the teacher was strict? They don't do anything like that in the schools no more. You can't get hit with the ruler on your hand. <laughs> you, you will go to prison. You will lose everything if you even think about doing it. You can't even talk to kids a certain way nowadays in the school because someone's going to complain. Someone's going to say it's not right, it's wrong. But see, okay, Paul, according to the strictest sect of our religion, he lived as a Pharisee. Not only was Paul a faithful Jew, but he was known as faithful among the Jews, living according to this strictest set of Pharisees. He, he was, if you would say in, I guess, today's language or slang, he was part of the cutthroat clique. People that didn't take nothing. Like it was, if you messed up, it was going down. There was no room for error he was part of this group when it came to religion the pharisees they i mean they 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 had they had laws on top of laws <laughs> put it that way right they 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 made sure that no one was going to take them down because they had it down packed and they made it difficult for anyone else to be a part of that crew because again like i said they had all these traditions and all these added on Laws on top of the laws that was given in the Pentateuch, and so this is where Paul found himself at an early age. He was all in. He did everything within his power to excel in his position as a Pharisee. Do you know some people like that, or maybe you were a person like that? That what you are interested in, what your what your focus on in life is, you are all in. Uh, if you're into you know, building cars and restoring cars. You are all in beyond the likes of tool, uh, you know, Tim the Toolman Taylor from Home Improvement. I mean, you, you go all in rebuilding this hot rod, making sure every single thing you've you studied, you've looked up, you, you have so much knowledge because you are all about that. Well, this is the way Paul was, but when it came to religion, he, he prided himself on, on his ability to excel within the ranks of the Pharisees. You see, some today are like this. Hardcore with their religion. With their traditions. With their rituals. They pride themselves on these things. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good because of X, Y, and Z. This is what I've done. This is what I continue to do. This is what I maintain. This is a lifestyle I maintain. And so that makes me good. But you see, traditions and rituals, and even religion do not save you or I. Only a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ can do that. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that traditions, we have certain traditions that we keep to. I don't want to say rituals, and, and, and I'm not knocking religion, but these things do not save you. It is not the work of these things. It's not the mechanics of doing these things. It's not the mechanics of reading the Bible that saves you. It's not the mechanics of going to that table and taking those pre-made cups and eating that cracker and drinking that juice and think that that saves you. That has nothing to do with your salvation or your right standing with Jesus Christ. It's the fact that you recognize your condition as a sinner and that you've received the free gift that's offered to you, and that you are communing with God on a regular basis throughout every day. When you hear that small whisper and He speaks to you, and He leads you to do something, it's that relationship, it's that that saves you. It's that marking, it's that fruit that you can see. Remember, we are supposed to be very good fruit inspectors, inspecting the fruit within our own lives. Lord, where's the fruit? Do I see growth? Do I see you moving in my life? Because He's moving in every one of our lives. We just have to be aware. He's in our midst. Remember, we are in His presence all the time. These same religious leaders, they they knew exactly who Paul was and how devoted he was to his religion. That is why they, they probably were so shocked to see Paul had changed. What? You're talking about Paul of Tarsus? You're talking about Saul? What? First of all, his name is Saul. Why is he say, saying his name is Paul? I know him as Saul. And that dude, he was a bad man. He went all out for us, you know? He held the coat of Stephen and, you know, uh, he he made sure that the you know, people that said they were of the way, they went to prison. Or they got killed. He was a lynchman. He was there for it all. So they were struck like, how is, this, how is this same guy? You're telling me you changed? I don't buy it. I don't buy it. But see, this is the life-changing, transformational power of Jesus Christ. I have a question. Have you ever experienced Similar type of response, a similar type of response, excuse me, from someone who has known you before you were a Christian, right? That they were, they were shocked to see that you had changed so much that they were almost in disbelief. Have you ever experienced that? I know I've experienced that firsthand with my, with my family, with my mother. <laughs> and my mom's like, you're a liar. You, I know you. You know, I, I, I raised you. I've, I've, I've got you out of all kind of mess. I've seen how you've lived. And now you're telling me you're a Christian? You're, you're, you're saved? Really? You got all those tattoos? You're saved? I thought Christians don't do that. And, and my mom did not believe. She's like, you know. And, and it got to the point where I had to just stop telling her. And I had to just say, you know what? I need to live my life in a manner that she can see a change in me. And to this day you know we she sees the change she, she sees the change now it's been you know 10 years you know plus and, and now she's understanding that, that this is real she never thought that her her son would be in this position and I for that matter would never have thought that I'd be in a position I'm in but again this is this is what God does when he changes and transforms your life he takes you from death to to life. He takes you from darkness to light. And you see things change in your life. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle with certain things. And yes, there's going to be moments where we stumble and we have to get back up, right? But the reality is your lifestyle, your, the things that you are engaged in, the things that you heavily spend time in, it's going to change. And you're going to be wanting to serve the Lord and to glorify Him in the things you do. And you can still watch football, You can still watch UFC if you like that. Some people will be like, no, it's barbaric. You're you're in sin doing that. You know, hey, take it up with the Lord. The Holy Spirit will let you know if it's something that you shouldn't be watching or not. But I'm not saying you're going to be bland. If anything, you're going to have flavor. The Word talks about that. uh, Followers of Christ being like that, having flavor. But you see, there's going to be times where people that knew you in the past are not going to believe that there's been a change in your life. The application is this. It's actually a huge blessing, even though it's difficult to walk through those times, especially when it's people closest to you and they don't believe you. It's almost like a knife to your heart because you know you're doing your best to live upright. You're doing your best to serve the Lord and some people just deny it. They just say, I don't, I'm not buying it. And it, it could crush you for a moment. But this reveals that you have been set apart no longer a prisoner of sin in this world you see people should be able to see a clear difference in you once you give your life to Christ more than anything there should be an indescribable joy that people sense when they're around you what is it? what is it about you? why are you, why are you, why are you emphatic about this? and I'm not saying being a nut Right, because there's a big difference, and people are over the top, and, and you know. And I don't want to go there. I don't even want to say overly charismatic, but it just you know when people are just going crazy. Dude, are you on drugs or no? Sometimes it is the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying. But when you are, when there's a joy in you that nobody can understand, that's what they should sense. You see, the Bible calls us to be salt of the earth, right? And what does salt do to you? When you have salt, when you have some salty chips or salty meat, I had some, I had some salty steak on Wednesday. We went to go visit uh, Veronica's, uh, her, her younger sister, and and uh, you know, and her boyfriend, and they cooked, and oh man, that barbecue was bomb. But I was, what happens when you when you eat a bunch of steak? You are thirsty, right? Don't go drinking that Coke. Veronica did that yesterday. We didn't have steak, but she. You know, we we're at my mom's, and you know, she's super partial. She's like, "Stop by Taco Bell. I want one of those freezer things." I said, "You said you're thirsty. You eat that. You drink that freezer thing. you will be even more thirsty." Pfft, we bought two. <laughs> I'm, drink- I'm drinking it right with her. Though we're both super thirsty at the house. You know, but you know, going back to it, you know, it's salt of the earth. We should make people thirsty. We should make people thirsty for Jesus by the way we live, you know? And I'm, I'm learning this more and more. And, you know, the Lord does so much with your kids and, and your family. That's where you, That's the stomping, guys, where you learn to serve, where you learn service. And you learn service with a good heart and service with a smile. Even when you're like, dude, I'm about to, I don't even have hair. I'm about to pull my hair out of my head. But it's like, Lord, change my heart. Give me a good heart. I'm supposed to be doing this with a good heart. But it, 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 it's you know, the salt of the earth. And and in time, you know, people are going to sense that and they're going to get that flavor. They're going to be like, man, I'm thirsty for what you have because they're going to come to a breaking point where where now they've exasperated every other option in their lives and now they're going to turn to Jesus. And that's okay because that's how many of us come to Christ. We've done everything else and none of it works. And we're sitting there like, there's got to be more to life. One day I'm going to die. This, this this cannot be it. This cannot be the total sum of my life. And that's where Jesus comes in and says, hey, I'm still here. I'm just waiting for you. There's a there's a cool story Veronica shared with me. Um, there's a there's there's a, the woman that's taking over her position because she's starting to work part time now. And uh, they had a little get together. Her boss had a get together for all the workers Friday night. And so, uh, you know, she was over there and, uh, you know, my wife obviously doesn't drink. Uh, people were drinking this and that but there's this one girl there it's that lady that took over her job and she was wanting to talk to my wife oh you know what, you know i want to talk to you and so you know when people would break away they would talk and you know she said i believe god put you in my life i believe god put you in my life because all the things that, that the, all the signs i see and, and this is someone who was struggling and, and came from a situation where i'm not trying to put the church on blast but you know years ago uh the pastor had fallen out and this affected that girl she was a, a young lady at the time and, and she stopped going to church because she said the pastor, you know, had committed adultery against his wife and, and she didn't know what to do. And she fell out. Um, and, and, and then Veronica, you know, kind of shared, you know, you know things that, that, that we've gone through and that, you know, th- these things happen. But keeping your eyes on, on Christ and, and it was just amazing to hear that testimony like, you know, this is, this is what it's about. This is that, that flavor. Unbeknownst to my wife, just her doing her job working. But this, she didn't know that this woman was going through what she's going through. But yet they're, they're at her boss's house. And this lady's getting all emotional. And like, can you pray for me? And she started crying like, you know, my wife started praying for her Because she could sense that the Lord is still trying to do a work in her life. And she's trying to figure out, how do I get reconnected to God? How do I get connected to, to this, this God who is, is greater than anything, who raises the dead and saves souls of men and women and children? And, it, and, and, and he does it in a way like that, you know, where, where just you being you, you being obedient, just going where the Lord calls you to go. Because my wife was like, man, my son, my, my, my husband's at the house. You know, he's had the kids from 8 until 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. But she's like, you know what? The, the Lord's calling me to go to this. And I said, you know what? Go. Be a blessing, you know, and that's the thing. Just like Paul here, being obedient, the salt of the earth, people will get that flavor from us. Amen. All right. Moving on. It says now in verse six, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our our, our 12 tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Next, we see that uh, Paul explains why he is grateful for the opportunity to be judged for Jesus Christ. The text says, now I stand and I am judged for the hope Of the promise made by God to our fathers. You see, Paul made it clear that in both his heart and his mind, he remained a faithful Jew. His trust in Jesus was an outgrowth of his trust in the hope of the promise made by God. And this is why he argued his case. It's for this sake that I am accused by the Jews. I have another question. This is something that we must ask ourselves constantly. Today, what are you accused of? What are you accused for? You're going to be accused for something. Are you accused for doing wrong? For doing wrong things? For doing things like lying, cheating, stealing, scheming, being jealous, being covetous, being envious or backbiting. Or are you accused of doing the right things? Being a do-gooder. Being prudent. It's a beautiful thing to be prudent. Being thoughtful. Being selfless having morals living a godly life you see we will all be accused of something for the christian we should only be accused of living a righteous life before god and before man first peter chapter 3 verse 16 tells us having a good conscious conscience excuse me so that when you are when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This is an important thing. What are we being accused of? How do people, again, see our lives? We should be those that are seen in light of who Jesus Christ is. Next, we come to the heart of the message. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? You see, since agrippa being half jew he was an expert in all of the customs and questions which have to do with the jews he should have understood the belief that god could or would raise the dead why should it be thought incredible that god can do anything as jesus said in matthew chapter 11 verse 26 with god all things are possible you see Well, we have to understand something very crystal clear here. God is the only one who is perfect, infinite, with all wisdom. You see, some people will try to take that verse and actually use it against God, twist it. That's so why we have to have the proper context of what is really being said in these statements. For example, people will say, "Well, if God can do everything and if nothing's impossible, then 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 why doesn't He stop all the pain and the death right now? Because all I see is carnage. All I see is is little babies being taken out and and bad things happening to them. And you know, it's it's crazy. With you know, I'm like, man, all these people bashing on." older Asian people. I'm like, dude, you've got to be kidding me. And like the whole Black Lives Matter, I asked my wife this, I said, what do they say about the people that are black? And I'm not trying to get into all this, but it's just interesting to me because I'm like, all these... I'm seeing black people smashing on these Asian people. And if we're all supposed to be in this together, that's, that's just horrible. <laughs> what is going on? But I'm just saying, for example, because that's what's going on right now in our culture. People smashing on each other. People getting beat up. People getting killed for no reason. Not like it hasn't happened in the past. But it's like people, everybody's minds are fried right now. And they're just doing whatever. But someone will say that. And say, Well, if God is so good and, and if anything's, nothing's impossible for God... Well, then why doesn't he stop all the pain and death right now? Well, once again, in his infinite, perfect wisdom, his timetable calls for this dispensation of grace that we are still living in today. And praise God that the dispensation of grace has not been lifted. Because if he was to take away pain and death when people wanted him to, then the reality is there'd be a whole lot of bunch of other people that would perish forever and eternity. Remember, a thousand years is but a day and vice versa to God. His desire is that none perish. So he's extremely patient with us. A patience we don't deserve. But back to the raising of the dead. Everyone will experience the resurrection because we are infinite created beings. We We're never made to die it is because sin entered the world through man's free choice that we must experience this physical death and if it was anybody else and it wasn't adam we all would have messed up we would have been kicking it would have said all right i'm gonna eat the fruit and it's all bad so either way it entered through the first humans that were on the planet and now we all must experience physical death but one day we will all be resurrected by the power of almighty god We will all stand before his judgment seat and give account for what we did in this life. We will either accept his son Jesus Christ as our personal savior or we will reject him. But there will be no gray area in the matter on that day. There will be no wishy-washy, I kind of, sort of, kind of, no, no. It's either yes or no. This is the message Paul was trying to relay to King Agrippa. Yet it should be especially, it should have been, excuse me, especially easy for Agrippa to believe that God could raise the dead, given some clear statements in the Old Testament, such as Job chapter 25, uh, Job chapter 19, excuse me, verses 25 and 27. This explains the nature of God and the intuitive grasp of the eternal among mankind. But again, Agrippa didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him, so it was difficult for him to understand. Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, it tells us this. It says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. I mean, so Job had a clear understanding that God is an eternal being and he was going to be eternal with him. He would see him in eternity. Okay, our last two verses. It says in 19, I mean, excuse me, in chapter, in verse 9, excuse me again. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposition, in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests but when they were put to death I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them I persecuted them even to foreign cities so here is where Paul gives his own personal account he shares of how he was before he was converted that, that, that if you're not for Jesus Christ, you stand in direct opposition to Him. Some will say, but I've, I've never hurt a Christian. I've never killed anyone, so I'm not that bad. I am okay. But it's our very sinful nature. It causes us to be against God and for ourselves. Unbeknownst to us we will naturally create our own standard of righteousness to stand upon. And that's what you see going on in the world today. If people are not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you see it in all these movements of equality and inclusion, and everybody's accepted, everybody has their own idea of righteousness. And they're all trying to promote it. I'm righteous because I'm doing this. I'm righteous because I'm doing that. But it's not God's righteousness. It's man's righteousness. And that is not worth nothing in God's economy. Our sinful nature puts us at war with God. Surely He would win that war every time if it played out the way Satan would have it play out. Thankfully, Elohim is in full control and not the enemy. Love and compassion being a few of God's attributes, He saw it fit to have a way of redemption for His creation through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we don't have to face total destruction and eternal separation from God. Again, with his own admission, Paul makes this statement, I myself thought I must do more things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, before Paul's conversion, he believed he must persecute any follower of Jesus Christ. So he imprisoned them, he had them killed, and he forced them to renounce the name of Jesus Christ. This is what he speaks of. When he says blaspheme the name of Jesus, Paul later speaks of in great regret he had over his prior life as a persecutor. He talks about that in 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians. Perhaps the fact that he had compelled people to renounce the name of Jesus Christ, that this weighed heavily upon his conscience. The application is this. Though we are not to live in condemnation, there should be a level of regret And even shame towards how our former way of life was before we got saved. But you got to hear me clearly. I'm not saying that you need to live in shame and regret. I'm not saying that at all. That's condemnation to live in that. What I'm saying is when you look back at your former way of life. Before you knew Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It should sicken you. The thought of what you used to do how you used to live, it should be a huge turnoff to you, meaning you don't want to go back to that way of life. If it doesn't, and you are okay with how you used to live, and you're saying, I'm just saved now, but I was okay before, then you clearly have not fully grasped what you have been saved from and how deadly sin actually is. You see, knowing your personal sin, my personal sin was responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross, should produce in you and I a level of humility that will develop you into a radically changed person. That your thoughts, actions, and deeds are going to be total contrary to how you used to live. As the worship team comes up, I'll end with this last portion. This clearly, when he says he cast his vote against them, this clearly implies that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, right? Because he had a vote against Christians who were tried before the Sanhedrin. This is a side note, but it's very important to point out. If Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, that means that he was married because you couldn't be a part of the Sanhedrin without having a wife. So... Since we know that he was single, that means at this time, currently, he did not have a wife. So that means either his wife died or his wife disregarded him and left him, abandoned him because his decision decision to follow Christ. Sometimes these things will happen again. Your stance in Christ may cause you to be in opposition to people, even people you're close to. But take heart that through the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ... Those relationships can be reconciled and a person will be saved in the family, not just for that person's sake, but for the families. If you look back on your life, you were saved and somehow, some way, in God's divine intervention, other people in your family got saved. They may not got saved right away. It might have been 15 years. It might have been 10 years. It might have been two years. But your salvation counts for more than you. It counts for all those around you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, just thank you for uh, your text, Lord, that points out to us how important it is to live a life above reproof, that we are those that reflect the light and the love of Jesus Christ to to those around us, so that people may see and taste that you're good and the things of you. Your nature is good, Lord. You're a good, good Father. Lord, as we celebrate Mother's Day today. Lord, we, we think of all the mothers that, that give tirelessly or for their children, for their families. Lord, may these mothers continue to draw their strength from you because we know that's the only way that they can, they can give as much as they give, which is everything. Lord, so Father, we thank you and we love you. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.